Be seated, please. Well, thank you, Scott, for uh, noticing that I hadn't turned on my microphone. Um, it's, all, it's amazing that you... I've been doing this for like uh, only 30-some years, and uh, it's amazing how you can still forget little things like that. So thank you for... Uh, believe me, the first part of the prayer was for you, and even if you didn't hear it, uh, God did. Okay. It's also remarkable when um, we have so many boxes up here that I have no way to get up on the platform, and I have to ask Brandon to you know, like the Panama Canal dredge uh, a place here so that I can come up on the, on the stage. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, thank you for the spirit in which you gave these gifts. And um, those of you that don't realize it, you can go online if you've tracked your numbers and f- find out where these boxes go uh, and to what child in what country. And it's kind of neat to do that. So if you haven't done that, if you can identify your box... You can pick up, you know, write that number down, go online, and you can track that. So thank you for your generosity. Just really profound. Well, several years ago, Sherry and I went uh, on a summer vacation. A friend in the church uh, knew of someone that owned a condominium on Kiowa Island, South Carolina, one of those beautiful places in the world. And so we were able to go on vacation there for a couple of weeks, and it was uh, spectacular. And uh, one of the first things we like to do when we go on vacation is find churches that, uh, to visit. And we love to see what other people are doing in other parts of the world in church and how they're worshiping God and just meet other Christians. That's wonderful. So we went and we discovered one of the oldest churches in the United States. St. John's Presbyterian Church, established 1719. A full generation, hear this, a full generation before George Washington was born. It was a fascinating place. It had family pews where you would go in, you had a little gate, and you'd go in and you'd sit down in that family pew, very small as you would expect. Uh, But what we noticed uh, was uh, all across the church, from all around the church on the wall, there were plaques of different pastors over the years, for the past almost 300 years, different pastors who had faithfully served that church. For instance, uh, one was this. Uh, Jonathan Knox, born 1698, died 1769, served St. John's Presbyterian Church from 1731 to 1757. And they had these plaques, hundreds of these plaques, all around the church. It was just remarkable. You felt like you were in the midst of history. It was, it was really tremendous. But what was noticeable is that every man, and they were all men, I mean, Presbyterians in those days didn't really acknowledge women, but they was, they, every man uh, was represented by two numbers and a dash in between. Date of birth, dash, date of death. Now, out behind the uh, church, uh, there was a graveyard, as uh, most uh, churches had in those days, and it was filled with hundreds of gravestones. And all the way back to the 1600s, it was just an amazing place. Looking back on that experience, I couldn't help but realize that each of those lives was reduced to simply two dates with a dash in between. One little dash represented a man's entire life and ministry. And you ask the question, I wonder what he lived for. I wonder who he loved. I wonder about his family, his wife, children, 
I wonder what his passions, his dreams were. What were his sins and regrets? Two dates, date of birth, date of death, and in between, a dash. That dash represents, by the way, your life that you're living right now. Now, I, yesterday, I had the privilege to uh, help at a memorial service for my uncle. Uh, my aunt on my mother's side, my mom's youngest sister, and her husband live up in Scottsdale with their daughter, and they attend a small uh, Nazarene church up there, and, and they're just uh, wonderful people. And um, I remember Nancy, when I was a little boy, she was my babysitter. Uh, when the four of us kids were, uh, my, we got too much from our parents, and they had to go out and leave us. Uh, they got Aunt Nancy to come in and take care of us. And uh, so... Uh, uh, take heart, Scott and Lisa. And, and so, uh, you know, I, we, we, so there were times when parents just need a break from their kids, and Nancy was always the one that came in. Well, Jerry, uh, she married Jerry, and he was um, uh, a wonderful man. He loved the Lord, but he died last week, and we had a celebration of his life uh, last, uh, last week. But here is the bulletin from his uh, life, and it's uh, December 21, 1939, dash, November 9th, 2012. And when you look at this and you see his picture and you read some of the bio stuff, you say his, his life basically was reduced simply to a dash. When you think about it, we don't have control over many things in life. Where you were born, who you were born to, which time in history, which culture were you born into. We have no control over those things. I mean, one of the things you have to feel blessed about is that you were born in the United States of America. We live in a free country. We can worship freely. We have all kinds of advantages over many other places in the world. That is a real gift from God. But it has nothing to do with, the, with you. <laughs> you didn't make that choice, but you are blessed by it. The Bible says that we are in His hands. Our times are in His hands. And, but there is one thing we do have a vast amount of control over. We get to decide how we're going to live our dash. We get to decide how we're going to live that time between DOB and DOD. Date of birth and date of death. In my case, I get to determine how I'm going to live between 1948 and whatever year I go to be with the Lord or the Lord returns or whatever. I get hit by a truck, whatever it is. That dash, I get a lot of control over what I'm going to do with that. Each of us gets to decide, at least for the most part, how to spend that little dash of time in our existence. So here's the question for today as we approach our text in 1 Peter chapter 4. How are you living your dash? How are you spending the time between your DOB and your DOD? Are you living the dash? Or, and I know some of you, are you just dashing to live? (laughs) Just trying to get through every single day, one day at a time. Well, that's the question that Peter poses in chapter 4 of our study. Now, when we read the text this morning, never forget the context. One one error that people make with the Bible is that they read something and they think it just applies to them right now, and, and it does. Much of it does apply to you right now. But there's always a context. And remember the context of Peter. He was the first century Christianity, about A.D. 64, Nero is in control, the world is a mess, and Christians are hammered by the Roman government. They are crucified. They are beaten. They are taken out of their homes. They, are, they flee to the hills. They flee to the catacombs. All of this is happening. In this context, Peter comes and speaks to you 
and to me, as well as to that first century uh, Christianity. Now, Peter had, his, uh, had the dash in mind when he said in 1 Peter uh, 4.7, the end of all things is at hand. Now you say that, okay, the end of all things is at hand. What's he talking about? Well, for sure, he was referring to the idea that all of us will have an end cap to our days, right? Um, again, whether we're hit by a bus, God forbid, we die of a sickness, a disease, or we live to a ripe old age, or we live only until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, one of those ways our life is going to stop at some time. And that's the end of all things. And that is at hand, he said. Now, this idea of the second coming of the Lord Jesus, this is what Peter was referring to, that Christ is going to return. Now, for those of you who are not um, Bible, church, God, Jesus people, and I know we always, every Sunday we have folks, and you're welcome, just, just as welcome here as anyone else, uh, people that don't have that kind of background, let me tell you what that means. Uh, when Jesus came the first time, that's what we call Christmas, uh, Jesus came as a baby, and he came to be the Savior of the world. And uh, we know that he was the Savior of the world because then 33 years later, he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and he rose to the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he stays there until he returns again, and he says, I'm going to return again, and here's my, my job description when I return again. There's a lot of things in between, but here's the overall job description of what I'm going to do when I come back. And he said, it's this, I'm going to make all things new. Everything's going to be new. All the bad stuff's going to go away. That's going to be judged. I'm going to make all things new. So when Jesus Christ returns, and the Bible says he'll return like a thief in the night, in other words, we won't even know uh, that, it, well, you mean it's happening now? So Christians for 2,000 years have been anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ, that he's going to come back. And, and he talks about it, Peter talks about it in a way that it's both personal, Jesus the Lord, Jesus himself will return. He's not going to send some angels or send some, uh, you know, secretary or something. The Lord Jesus himself, it's personal and it's imminent. And that's a theological word that means literally it could happen at any time. It could have happened the first week after Jesus left. It could happen today. In fact, Jesus Christ could return before I finished my sermon today. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, you wouldn't have to listen to a whole sermon and you'd be with Jesus. You know, that'd be really awesome. But uh, so, so that's what Peter's talking about. In that context, at the end of your days, either you're going to die in natural causes, something bad will happen, or Jesus Christ will return. One of those things, it's going to happen and it's going to happen to you. So in that context, let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Here's the word of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's kind of like referring back to our last series on what is a Christian. You know, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Wow. (laughs) 
Peter says, okay, now we've been talking about all this tribulation you're going to go through, the persecution, you know, the bullets are flying, everything's going wrong in the first century. We kind of feel that way today, many of us, that, man, things aren't just like we'd like them to be in our world. Uh, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, things are happening in our country we don't like, there's crime and there's drugs and on. They say, oh, man, I don't like all. And that's the kind of context that Peter was speaking. He said, in the midst of all that, recognizing that your days are limited. How are you going to live your dash? How are you going to live your life? In the midst of all that craziness, all that chaos, how are you going to live your dash? Now, remember we talked a few weeks ago about the difference between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Uh, St. Augustine gave a great uh, talk about that in one of his books, The City of God. And the kingdom of man, if you recall, is that which we are nailed to. (laughs) That big blue rock. That uh, third rock from the sun. Uh, that earth that we have grown very affectionate towards, that we love very much because it's the only thing we know. And we are bound to this earth and remembering that this earth is really not our final destination, but it is where we live now. It is all we know and we get really attached to it and we love it. That's the kingdom of man. But we have a final resting place that's called the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God, Cher reminded me to slow down my talking. The kingdom of God, thank you, honey, The kingdom of God is the kingdom of Jesus being Lord of our lives right now through eternity. So the kingdom of heaven doesn't start when we go to heaven. It starts when we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. We are living in the kingdom of God now. And what I described a few weeks ago is that sometimes we get confused about the kingdoms that we think that the kingdom of man, which I call the little kingdom, is really the thing. But it's not. It's like kindergarten. It's like preschool. It's like one step to the real big thing, and that's the kingdom of God. So Peter is referring all of this when he says, it's gonna, something's going to change. Um, the end of all things is near. And, and, and you say, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I believe that. I believe that today. I mean, I remember back in the 70s, everybody was, you know, the late, late, late great planet Earth and all that stuff. Those of you who've been around this stuff, you know, oh, Jesus is coming in the 70s. And I remember a, a, a teacher I had in seminary that said, Jesus is going to come in, in 1978. And, and, and I remember when I was younger, I remember Jesus was going to come in 1966. And of course, you don't know the day or the time when he's going to come, so that's kind of silly. But I'll be honest with you, I, I lived a pretty good life those years. You know, no, I didn't want to, you know, just in case, you know, uh, you try to live a good life. But Paul, Peter says, this is going to happen. Either your life's going to end or Jesus is going to return. And the Bible confirms that. Romans 13, 12 says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. That's referring to the second coming of Christ. The Lord is at hand, Philippians 4, 5. The Lord is coming near, James 5, 8. And in Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And dozens and dozens of other passages that say, you know what? Christ is going to come very soon. How soon? Well, that's the imminence, right? It could be any moment. Now, if you've read uh, The Voyage of the Don Treader by C.S. Lewis, you may remember the conversation between Lucy and Aslan. Aslan was that uh, Christ figure in all of C.S. Lewis's uh, books. And um, here's the conversation that Aslan and Lucy had. Aslan says this, Do not look so sad, Lucy. We shall meet soon again. Lucy responds, Please, Aslan, what do you call soon? Aslan says, I call all times soon. And said Aslan, and instantly he vanished away. Soon is anon. It's now. It's 
Maybe later, but it's now. And that's the mystery of the second coming. It's both personal and imminent. And um, God says, the end is near. The end is near. Now, with that in mind, and with the context of the first century in mind, Peter gave some kind of direction on how do you live your life, how to live the dash. How to live your life between your DOB and your DOD. How to live that successfully, maneuvering, even though you're a kingdom of God person, and Christ is your Lord and Savior, and eternity is your home, even though you're a kingdom of God person, how do you live on this kingdom of the earth? How do you live in the kingdom of man? How do you live in this little kingdom as a kingdom of God person? And so Peter gives a couple of suggestions, four of them really, and his first one is this. Live intentionally. Live intentionally. First Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Be clear-minded and self-controlled. Now, the Greek word for clear-minded is the same word that was used when the um, legions of demons went into that uh, crazy man in Mark chapter 5. Some of you remember that story. And when the demons left his mind and his life, uh, then he became, this is the same word, clear-minded. No obstacles. You're not in a drug fog. You're not in an alcohol fog. You're, you're, you're clear-minded. You're sane. That's the same word there. It means clear thinking, unmuddied. And Peter would say in the face of persecution, great persecution in the first century and hardship, stay focused on the goal. Little kingdom, big kingdom, stay focused on the goal, which is the big kingdom. In other words, the best way to describe this word in 1 Peter 4, 7 is stay the course in spite of circumstances. So Peter would say, be clear-minded, self-controlled. Stay the course in spite of circumstances. Now, the circumstances in Peter's day were ridiculously bad, right? And, and, he, and Jesus would say, I, I, I know how you're suffering. I, I know the persecution you're feeling. I know the way you're getting beat up for, for your faith. I, I know that. But stay the course in spite of the circumstances. Some of you today are experiencing extraordinarily difficult circumstances, whether it's financial, divorce, children that are off the trail, all kinds of things that give great pain and suffering to a human being. I know how difficult it is and how painful it is to live in our world these days. But Peter would say to you, as he did in the first century, stay the course. Stay the course. In spite of the circumstances, stay the course. My grandfather, uh, on my mother's side, Grandpa Price, was a carpenter. Actually, he was a, um, well, he was a carpenter. He was born around the turn of the century. And um, carpenters in those days didn't just do one little special thing. They built the whole house. <laughs> that's what a carpenter did. And that's what he did. During the Depression, he couldn't find any work. And so Grandpa would every day during the Depression, it's the late 1920s into the early 1930s, Every day, Grandpa would uh, leave the house. He would kiss uh, Grandma goodbye with his tool belt in his little 1929 uh, 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 T Model T Ford. And he would drive off, and basically he would say to Grandma, I'll be back as soon as I have some food for the kids. And he went out and he knocked on doors. You need any work done? I'll work cheap. I'll do whatever. And Grandpa would not come home until he had food for the kids. That's perseverance in spite of the circumstances. 
That's what God is calling us to do. To literally stay the course. To stay focused. Don't give up. Don't waver or wilt. Do not give into discouragement or anger. Stay focused so that you can pray. See, the, the, staying focused has a purpose. The purpose is so that you can keep that relationship with God new and fresh and alive so that you can pray. The, the Methodists used to call it being centered. Okay? What they meant was that you would literally sit in silence in a little uh, ecclesia, a little church house, and you would be centered. You would just stay there and you would think about God. Think magnificently about God. Okay, I'll think about God. That was being centered. The Mennonites called it something else, and I love this phrase the Mennonites came up with. They're hunkered down. Hunkered down. (laughs) You know, it's like you're in the, you've dug a trench, and I'm not leaving until I get God, you know, until I know God. That's what it means to stay the course. You live intentionally by recognizing that the big kingdom, the kingdom of God is the kingdom that you live in every single day. Now, yes, we, we're still attached to this rock, and it's all, it's all good. But how do we live as kingdom people, as disciples of Jesus Christ in this broken world? We do it by living intentionally, by staying focused on Jesus, staying focused on the big kingdom in spite of circumstances. Then he goes on, Peter goes on and says, let me give you another way to live in this difficult time. And it's this, and this is a great phrase. Love deeply. Love deeply. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, the word deeply is translated fervently. Uh, It's like uh, an an athlete that is straining his muscles or a horse that is running at a full gallop. It's that kind of, you know, you just everything you've got, you're you're putting it out there. Uh, It's a a sprinter that that is reaching for the tape at the finish line. Probably the best example that we have in Arizona, it's, it's Larry Fitzgerald reaching for a pass that no one else is going to catch. And I trust that will happen today against Atlanta. You, know, the, 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 you look at the way he uses his body, he stretches out, and he, on his fingertips he'll catch the ball. That's what this word means deeply. What, so, so here's how I translate that, deep, you know, love deeply. It's called stretched out love. <laughs> stretched out love. It's reaching. It's reaching. How far can I reach? It's that kind of stretched out love. Above all, love each other deeply with that kind of stretched out love because it covers a multitude of sins. See, the the, the amazing thing about love is that love isn't just a feel-good, you know, wonderful, warm thing. Love is a feeling that you feel when you feel a feeling that you've never felt before. Love is much more than that. It is a decision. It is a commitment. It is stretching and reaching. And if you've been married for any length of time or if you've been in a relationship or even as you, with your parents or in other, any kind of relationship that you have in life that really matters to you, when you have that kind of reached out, that stretched love, there's going to be hurt and pain and suffering. That's what Peter's talking about. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Uh, recently, uh, in the last couple of months, I've done uh, three weddings and uh, two kids that grew up in our church here and then my granddaughter in Vidalia, Georgia. Georgia. And so as I'm doing each of these weddings, um, I see these, these, these beautiful, fresh-faced young people in their 20s, their 30s. They're, they're excited. They're ready to go. They're just so thrilled and they have filled with expectation and filled with dreams and optimistic and 
as I'm standing up there and I'm watching them say their vows to, to each other, this thought usually goes through my head. You guys have no idea what you're in for. <laughs> yeah, there's some great stuff that, you know, but you have no idea. Because anytime you, throw, you stretch yourself out there, when you love that way unconditionally, when you really give your love to a, another human being, when you stretch it out there, there's a lot of danger of getting hurt in that. That's why I believe with all my heart that, that sin or brokenness in a marriage is not grounds for divorce, it's grounds for forgiveness. And, 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 and that's what Peter's talking about, this kind of stretched out, reaching deeply. You love that way. You put yourself out there. God says when you do that, it covers a multitude of sins. Now, the word there in the original language uh, is not like sweeping the sins under the rug. It's not ignoring or avoiding the sins or the brokenness in your life with another person, a, a wife or a, another relationship or a boss or something like that. It's not about covering over your sins. It's not about covering up your sins. But the word cover there means literally that you, like you hose it down. You wash it so that it washes away. It's exactly how Jesus washed away your sins. Jesus didn't say of your sins, well, they don't really matter. I'm just going to forget about it. No, no. <laughs> the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so yes, sins matter. And when we break relationship, it matters. And the word here is not just to forget it, push it under the rug. It's literally to, to wash it away. Isn't that beautiful? Sin, and I'll tell you why. Uh, forgiving sins is so important. Um, the reason it's one of the most important jobs of love is because the most important job of Jesus' love was forgiving sins. I mean, the, the most critical part of Jesus' love for the world was forgiving sins. So if you, if you wonder how those two things are connected, that's how it's connected. What does it mean to cover sins? Well, I, I think it means a couple of things. It means to let go. It means to let go. So often we say, God, I, I forgive someone that's hurt me, and, and then the next time something reminds us of it, we, we kind of embrace it again. We let it go. Another thing we do is we accept forgiveness as a life sentence. When I forgive somebody, it's a, it's a life sentence. It's something that's forgiven, because that's how Jesus forgives me. It's a life sentence. And the other thing that I think this kind of forgiveness means, covering sins, is that we literally play, pray for the blessing and favor of the one who's hurt us. And again, the model of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us has hurt him by our lives, by the way we have disobeyed him and disregarded him and dismissed him. Every one of us have hurt Jesus, but how does he reward us? He rewards us by lavishing grace upon us. Pray for the blessing and favor for those who have hurt you. Love deeply. Stretched out love. Stretch out love deeply. Another thing that Peter says that we should experience in that in times when things are really bad, when things are turning the corner, is that we should share openly. Now this is an interesting phrase in, this, uh, in, the, in Peter's list of things here. In 1 Peter 4.9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, now the context in the first century, again, always remember the context, the first century, Christians were scattered because they were being persecuted and sometimes they needed to find a safe haven, a safe harbor. And so they would go to another, they would hear about another believer that lived over here. Maybe they were living in secret and they'd go over, they'd knock on the door and say, would you, uh, you know, we're Christ followers uh, and, uh, you know, you know they're, on our, they're on our tail. We don't know what to do. You come in, you stay with us. 
You stay with us. As, so that's the context of this phrase. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, the word grumbling means uh, uh, it's what you would expect uh, to mumble under your breath. Okay? Some of you have perfected that as an, as an art form. Uh, there have been times I have I've done, been very good at that. as well. Last weekend, um, Sherry had just been back from three weeks in Georgia, and we're just kind of starting to get our rhythm back. And so last weekend we had company on Saturday night. My brother-in-law and our nephew came in from uh, San Diego to go to the PIR race on Sunday, so we had company on Saturday night. Sherry thought that Sunday night was a great time to have a slumber party with three toddlers. And as I was... Now, I hadn't written the sermon yet, so be nice to me. Okay, I was mumbling under my breath. That's what I was doing. I wasn't being very hospitable. But remember, in the context, the early days, homes were not uh, museums. Homes were not just shelters for families. They were that. But they were also tools for ministry. Our homes were never meant to be a monument to our net worth or a badge of status or a refuge to hide. Our homes never were meant to be a museum for our china, a gallery for our art, a garden for our flowers, or a showroom for our furniture. As good as all of those things are, our homes were meant to be a place of worship and a place of ministry, a place of sharing, a place of hospitality. We have some people in our church, and my wife is one of those. We have some people in our church. If you've been here for any length of time and you've been starting to get involved in church, there's certain people in our church, and they're, they're, it's not a committee or anything. They're just there. Uh, they will invite you to their home for a meal. Now, that's kind of a lost art in our society. Everybody has these brick walls around their houses, and we take those seriously, right? But there are many people in our church that would say, you know, you're getting involved in church. I want you to come over and have a meal. That's using your house for ministry. Now, open heart, open home is what God's calling us to. But then there's one last thing that Peter talks about when he's talking about living the dash, living that, uh, that time frame between our DOB and our DOD. Okay, living the dash. And the last thing is to serve faithfully. To serve faithfully. First Peter 4.10 Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, again, for those of you that have been around church in the Bible for any length of time, you know about spiritual gifts. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and 1 Peter and other places. It talks about spiritual gifts. You've probably taken a spiritual gifts inventory. You know how God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ. And that is how God, why God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ, to serve the church, to serve the ecclesia. You know what the, Now, if you don't know that or if you're new to that idea, we have a core class that we run. Uh, three or four times a year. The next one is January, Brandon. Next one is in January. And the core class, part of the core class is discovering your spiritual gifts. In other words, what Peter's referring to is the fact that God has gifted every single one of you, no exceptions. God has gifted every single one of you with gifts and abilities and talents to use in the body of Christ for the big kingdom. Not the little kingdom. We need little kingdom stuff too. We need people that will take meals to people that are sick. And all that's little kingdom stuff that's washed over by the big kingdom. But all of the gifts and abilities that God has given you is to do big kingdom stuff. To reach one more for Jesus. To make a difference in people's lives. To love them in such a way. To live and to love and to die in such a way that people look at you and say, Man, I don't know about Christianity, but I want what you have. 
God has given us these gifts. And I think the question that we constantly have to ask ourselves is this. What do you do with what God gave you? Yeah, it just kind of brings up some other questions for me anyway. What have I done with the gifts that God has given me? Who have I helped along the way? Is my church better, stronger, more blessed because I am there? These are some questions that Peter would ask of those who are involved in ministry. Some might say, well, everything seems to be working okay. You know, church seems to be working okay. We had a boutique and it still kind of smells like, you know, potpourri in here. And, and it's, everything's working out. Well, you know, that's true, but I'll tell you what. Every Sunday, we, we need 70 to 80 people to serve to make this thing happen. You know those kids that came in at the beginning of the service? <laughs> Do you know how many adults it takes to corral those kids? And I'm not talking about the children. I'm talking about the teenagers. No, I'm talking about the children, actually. You know, and we, you have people faithfully serving your children right now and your youth right now doing that because God has gifted them to love and to minister to them. We are the hands and the body and the feet of Jesus Christ. During World War II, and I, I love history, there's a little French town that had a statue of Jesus in its town square. When the bombing came and the, uh, and the Nazis uh, bombed their little town, the statue was damaged almost irreparably. And uh, it was broke, all it was broken into pieces. And so they took the pieces, stored it in a basement somewhere, and decided, well, maybe after the war we'll re- put it back together, but we don't know if we can. So after the war, they said, let's do that. You know, that's part of our heritage. Uh, Jesus is the center of our town. Let's do that. And so they, they part, started putting the pieces back together. Of course, there were cracks and there were things. They found everything they needed to except the hands of Jesus. And that really mattered to them because this was a, a Catholic community that really wanted to see the holes in the hands of the Savior. That was really important to them. And then somebody put a plaque on the, this statue of Jesus that had everything but its arms. And here's what the plaque said. He has no hands but ours. I love that. He has no hands but ours. It's living the dash, living fully, abundantly, with purpose and without reservation. It's living in the kingdom of God, recognizing that we are bound to the earth for this time, but living in the kingdom of God in a way that we live our lives and we love people and we do what we do in a way that people are looking at us and they're saying, I I want what you have. I want Jesus in my life. He has no hands but ours. He has no eyes but ours. He has no lips but ours. He has no feet but ours. We, Hope Covenant Church, we are the body of Christ. And we can't do everything, but we can do something. And we can make a difference. One of the things that, um, I mean, I, I've been your pastor for 12 years. I've, I've seen a lot of things happen in these 12 years. We moved into this building 10 years ago. I've seen... Hundreds of people come to Christ. It's been an amazing thing. But one thing that constantly amazes me is how willing you are to serve. How willing you are to serve. How willing you are to give your time and your effort in order to build the big kingdom. Because that's what we're about here at Hope Covenant Church. We're about reaching one more for Jesus. That's big kingdom stuff. Yeah, we, along the way, we want to make sure that you have your physical needs taken care of and that we're meeting the physical needs of our community and those kind of things. But... It's all about reaching one more for Jesus. And I am so proud of you, our church, for the way that you serve. You've heard me say the last couple of weeks at, at the offering, because this was really uh, got into my spirit that 
there, if you're new to our church, um, you can be a visitor and a new person for as long as you want. We have no time frame around that. Take as long as you need to figure out whether or not this is going to be your home church. Take as long as you need. And in the meantime, we don't want your money. And the reason I, we can say that, that we don't want your money, is because you're sitting next to some of the most generous people in Chandler. People that give faithfully and sacrificially to make this church work and to make our ministries work, to make our outreaches work. I love this church and what you do. That's what Peter's saying. But Peter's warning is too, while you're living the dash, be aware of this. The end of all things is near. Whether you live to be a ripe old age or your life is shortened by tragedy or accident, where Jesus returns and breaks through the eastern sky and says, now's the time to make all things new. Peter's still reminding us the end of all things is near. How are you going to live between your D.O.B. and your D.O.D.? How are you going to live the dash? What are you going to do to make a difference in the world? Because God forbid we come to the end of our lives and all we have done is accumulated stuff. Oh, Lord, help us to get away from that. What have we done to live the dash? I know that life at times, especially in the last 50 years, things have seemed to get gotten really kind of wonky in our world. I mean, long-held standards and morals are falling, it seems. Men and women are afraid of the future. Nations are rising continually against nations with the ability to blow up the world with atomic weapons. In these earth-shaking times, Peter would say, live intentionally. Be a kingdom person. In these turbulent times, Peter would say, live deeply and forgive wholly. I mean, stretch out your love. Yesterday, um, after the memorial service for my uncle, uh, Sherry and I were driving back from Scottsdale, and we stopped at a Circle K to get something to drink. And as we did... Uh, there's a, a young man out in front, obviously young. He looked like he's maybe in his 20s, very young, maybe even younger than that. But by the way he was dressed, it was obvious he was probably living on the street. And he said, uh, he said now I still had my suit on and sure he was dressed up, so we looked like we had money. He had no idea. Uh, but, uh, so he said, hey, can, can, can you give me some money for, uh, to buy some food? And I said, well, well Sure. Uh, come on into the store. Now, he probably, didn't, he probably wanted the money, but we always buy them food. And so we said, come on, you get whatever you want. Uh, I know it's not gourmet, Circle K, right? But you get whatever you want, and we'll pay for it for, for a meal. And so he did, and he wasn't outrageous at all. He got a sandwich, some chips, and a drink, and just modest. And so are you sure? That, don't you want more than that? No, that's good. Thank you. And then as we were leaving, Sherry just leaned over and said, you know how much Jesus loves you? See, the act of giving food is really good because we, people get hungry and people that are homeless. And Sherry said later, she said, Where's, this boy's mother is somewhere on her knees dying, right? She's crying out to God. God, save my son. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. But this is, this is big kingdom stuff. It doesn't take a lot of time. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot of money, but it's big kingdom stuff. It's what we're talking about, stretching your love. Don't stay in your little cocoon and, oh, he might use it for alcohol. Well, so what? That's, not, that's beyond your pay grade, you know? Just help him out. You know, just help him. Just help him out. Give him some food or give him something, you know? And love deeply. Stretch, stretch. And as you see the end approaching, share openly your heart, your home, 
as the day draws near for the return of Christ, serve each other and serve the world faithfully. Let's live the dash. Let's do it. Let's just don't wait between DOB and DOD. Let's live the dash and let's live it in the big kingdom. Okay, let's do that together for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, uh, as we uh, are coming to the end of the series in 1 Peter, we recognize that the end really is near. (laughs) And for some of us, I've been on this planet quite a few years, and uh, my time, you know, maybe I've got 20, 30 years, I don't know, but, but Jesus could return today and right now, and that would be awesome. And, but we don't know how much time we have, but the time that we do have, Father, we want, to live it, we want to live it well. And we want to stretch out our love, and we want to be intentional, and we want to do this for the kingdom's sake, not for our sake. We want to build a monument to Jesus, not a monument to ourselves. And Father, that's living the dash. And I want to encourage every person that's listening right now, Every person. You say, Lord, today I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to live this time between my DOB and my DOD. I'm going to live this time for Jesus. I'm going to live for the big kingdom. I'm going to make a difference. I don't know what that looks like. I'm a little scared about that prayer. But I'm going to do that for the cause of the kingdom. And I, Father, I just pray that every person in this room will be able to pray that prayer sincerely from their hearts. And Lord, thank you for teaching us again so powerfully through your word. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.